to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we've got a great one for you. Two fantastic guests. First, in-house assistant general manager Marvin Allen joins me to talk about the scouting processes behind Tua Tungavailoa, Jalen Waddle, Raekwon Davis, and Big Rob Hunt. You won't want to miss that. Plus, Brett Coleman from the Film Room on YouTube and the Bootleg Football Podcast stops by to continue our draft preview series, taking a look at the defensive backs in this year's class. We'll also talk about Javon Holland and Xavier Howard, and he'll rave about the depth of this Dolphins group in the secondary. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. I don't want to waste any time on this podcast today. Two great guests. Let's go ahead and get first to assistant Dolphin general manager, Marvin Allen. What's up, Dolphins? I'm Travis Wingfield. I'm joined here today by Marvin Allen. Marvin, welcome into uh, our little set here, and, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We're happy to have you on, and I wanted to basically have a little sit down with you and just kind of introduce the fans to, to who you are, what you do, and, and kind of the process behind all the stuff we're doing here in Indianapolis this week and all through the draft process. So why don't we go ahead and start with what is your title and role with the Miami Dolphins? I am the assistant general manager for the Dolphins. I kind of help in a lot of areas with college and pro scouting is dividing in, into two different sections college which is why we're here which is you know looking at college guys coming out and pro guys which are guys that are going to be free agents that we will you know pursue so let's talk about a couple players you guys have brought into the program over the last several years and why don't we go ahead and go to alabama and start with quarterback tua tonga vailoa just off the top what are some things that really stood out about tua's personality and his makeup that made you think that he was a fit for the Miami Dolphins when you first kind of started the process there? Well, if you remember the way Tua first came into the game in Alabama, he came came in and rescued him, you know, in the championship game and just showed all the poise and, you know, instincts and anticipation that you would want to see. And, and to do it at such a high level at the spur of the moment was just, I mean, that was phenomenal. And then we were able to start tracking him as, you know, as he pursued his career. And then you know, to get to know him, you know, through the years and just his leadership. is He's more of a leader by example, but he is a cool, calm, collected customer. And he's really kind of like a lion. You know, you kind of like, you know, it's a lot of stuff rumbling on inside. And you just, he just kind of takes care of his business. What do you think some of the areas that he's shown the most growth in? His believing in himself and his teammates. I think like some of the throws that he's been able to make with, like I said, with his anticipation and accuracy, I think the guys, you know, when they, feel like they're going to be open. They, they know he can get them the ball. Where have you seen him really grow in terms of on the football field over his two years here? Well, I think learning the command of the offense. I mean, obviously coming from college where the offenses are not as complex as they are in the NFL, I think him learning, progressing in like reads and, you know, what guys are going to be in a specific area and, and knowing who he can go to. I think he's learning those things. One of the guys that he went to a lot last year was rookie receiver Jalen Waddle, also at Alabama, former teammate there. When you got a chance to go through this process with Jalen Waddle, what, what made him stand out among all the other receivers in that class? Oh, his energy. I mean, his. Uh, I remember uh, Chris Greer and I both were at his pro day and, and, I, and I was able to meet him. And he was just, he was just a ball of fire, just energy. And then to see the explosiveness that he had on the field, that he carried that personality to match. And just, you know, you just like, 
this guy's going to be something. It so. matches the personality of the yes. way he plays. It's, it's, it's uncanny that way. So you first notice the, the energy with him and, and the speed on the football, football field. I guess that's kind of a personality character trait too, but is there something else that you guys kind of uncovered about him? Because we know the, the high energy and the fun-loving kid, but what about from a, a work standpoint or just something about him that stood out? Well, just the general toughness. I don't, I don't know if people remember, you know, he, he, he got hurt his senior year and he missed, and he worked to come back to play in a championship yeah. game and he was limping, but that's how much a competitor that he was and it showed the toughness that he wanted to be out there with his teammates and you know for you know he's not the biggest guy in the world but you know for him to be out there mixing it up with those guys after you know having that kind of injury just showed the kind of competitor he is. So when you were discussing the the factors that weighed into whether or not to go to Waddle or somebody else in that draft what ultimately was the ultimate deciding factor for you guys to make that selection there at number six? Well I think it's just his explosiveness you want as many playmakers as you can get on the field and I think when you can put the ball in the guy's hand like that that has really good hands that you know it's going to catch the ball a and b can make things happen once he catches it. You know, those are special qualities in the receiver, and I think we we all saw it, and we were like, hey. And then having a relationship with Tua, you know, that really helped because, they, you know, the familiarity with those guys was really special. Um, let's, let's, let's stay at Alabama and, and go on to Raekwon Davis here, another player uh, in the same draft class there as Tua Tungabailoa back in 2020. I think there's a, a, probably an obvious answer here. Maybe it's different, but what about Raekwon stands out most when you guys met him in the draft process from a physical stature? Well, from a physical stature, he's huge. Exactly. You know yeah, I mean? no surprise, like, right? I mean, you would think this guy's supposed to be like in the WWE or something. I, know. I mean, he is huge, and he is really athletic for a guy that size. You really don't get a chance to see that combination of that kind of power and explosiveness and athleticism with a guy that big. What did you guys learn about him from the way he, he works? His passion is kind of second to none. He's, I mean, he's got an infectious personality. If you ever get a chance to meet him, he, he's, you can hear him before you see him. <laughs> and he is just a wonderful person. I mean, he just, he loves to play football. And that's the kind of guys you want on your team and build around us. So when you've got guys that are that athletic and that big that love to play, you know, it, only good things can happen. So he's big. He loves the game. What about from a technical standpoint on the football field? What really stood out to him? Well, to from, you guys about him? Well, what we wanted him to be able to do was anchor inside, and when you that big and that strong, it was just natural. <laughs> sure. It was a natural, you know, progression. And so. what do you think from a, a character standpoint made him really a good fit for the Miami Dolphins? He's selfless. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy will go in and just eat up blocks and not try to, you know, play outside of the defensive scheme and that's really things that in our defense you know the front line needs to be able to hold blocks at the line of scrimmage and he's selfless he could probably go and make some plays but he's you know holding blocks for other guys to make plays what about some areas you think he needed to grow in that he has shown that growth in coming into our system he had to learn to play our scheme like with his pad level playing because he's so tall you know he's six <laughs> six so you you know you're naturally towering over people so we had to get him to learn to play with a better pad level, you know, and kind of anchor things, and, 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 he's, and he's taking everything well. Let's go ahead and get off, off Alabama here and go to the Raging Cajuns and Big Rob Hunt. You talked mm -hmm. a little bit about, you know, the journey that, that uh, Raekwon made to the National Football League. I know Rob had a, a pretty uh, unique path to the NFL as well. Can you speak about that process for him? Well, Rob is a little different. Uh, I was, he was special to me because I was able to meet him when I went to the university of Louisiana to scout him. I just kind of fell in love with the person, you know, and even a guy this big and that athletic, you know, and then, you know, we were, he was 
scheduled to play at the Senior Bowl, and I think he was injured, and we were kind of glad he didn't because <laughs> right. nobody else got a chance to see him. And sure. like it was like our secret, and now everybody sees it. So I'm curious because this is you know kind of off off the radar here, but when I watched him at, at Louisiana, I laughed a lot watching him because he was doing things that just did not look like he belonged on that field. Like, did you kind of get a, a bit of a chuckle watching his college tape? Yes, because he was. So I mean, dominant, right? I he mean. was so dominant, and he was that athletic, and people got a chance to see a glimpse of the athleticism on the the touchdown that wasn't, <laughs> right. that, you know. That's but, right. I mean, that showed his athleticism and his power, and he's just a great person, and he's like, okay, well, we can build with guys like this. What were some areas that you believe that he needed to grow and, and kind of how has he progressed in those areas? Well, I, I think just learning to play offensive line in the NFL. I mean, because, you know, they're not as technical, you know, sometimes in college and, and having to learn the techniques and the, and, the, and the verbiage of the plays and still work with your footwork and your techniques and stuff. It was, it was kind of, it was a, you know, it was a growing process for him. Marvin Allen, assistant GM for the Miami Dolphins. Marvin, appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is longtime friend of the pod, a friend in general, the creator of the Film Room on YouTube and one half of the Bootleg Podcast. He is Brett Coleman. And Brett, you're... Your co-host is coming on the podcast later this week. I don't want to spark like any kind of competition among you guys, but I have to imagine you're going to want to bring it and compete with EJ a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I did a bad job because I think I chose the one position group that the Dolphins don't need. <laughs> that's DB. <laughs> well, well, need or not, I mean, best player available, right? That's, that's, the, that's the theme for every draft. Well, luckily the roster's in a spot where they, they can afford to do that. You know, it's not like a team's ever going to complain with having seven good DBs instead of six. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 a locked and loaded roster. Just I I fully anticipate that if they're going to do any strategy in the draft, it's just who's the best player. Let's figure it out from there. That's kind of my thought too, especially when you don't pick until one oh two. And it's crazy this year, Brett. Our our four draft picks we have are all non organic. They're other teams' picks. I'm not sure that's ever happened before, where a team got out of the entire business of their own draft picks and relied solely on the draft picks of someone else through trades, it just kind of speaks to the modern-day game of there's going to be lots of trades, right? That's how the NFL operates nowadays. And I think, you know, it's interesting when you look at, just kind of looking at a macro perspective, you look at how a lot of teams have had success over the last decade. There's two ways of doing it. Either you get a rookie quarterback that's really good and cheap, and you go out and acquire a whole lot of talent around them, which is literally what Miami just did. You know, they basically just handed over the credit card and said, okay, let's go get a bunch of stars, surround to a, let's make a run at this thing. Or you build the roster first, and then you go get a veteran quarterback that just wants to win and comes at probably less money than they should, like what happened with Tampa and the Rams the last two years. And those are kind of the two ways of building this thing you know it's funny you mentioned that because you look at the, the super bowl last year the Bengals pretty much did one of those things and the rams did the other thing with the veteran you know the build the roster drop the veteran quarterback in the Bengals pretty much bought a defense via free agency and built around their their young quarterback there with the offensive young weapons as well so i, I love that's like part of the, the thing about football i love the most is the different ways to kind of skin a cat as it were and how different teams find ways to get there ultimately. But, Brett, we have you here to talk about defensive backs today, and you, you mentioned picking a position that maybe isn't a, a, so much of a need, and with that in mind, I want to look at what we have in-house, because you have 
Xavier Howard here, very happy and thrilled to get the extension. Javon Holland drafted a year ago, one of the best safeties in the league last year. Nick Needham signed his second round tender. He's really blossomed as a nice slot cornerback. Byron Jones stays balling. Brandon Jones, a blitzing missile machine. Eric Rose had a great Dolphins career so far. Just want to get your thoughts on the position as a whole and what ultimately makes it so tough. You know, it's the, the Dolphins secondary to me is like the perfect embodiment of how a defense should be reacting to how uh, wide receiver cores are built. Because these days, when you look at like the best wide receiver cores around the league, you know, they build a basketball team. You know, you've got uh, a, a small, quick guy. You've got a big post-up guy. You know, if you're lucky, you have one of these like alpha receivers that can do anything. You know, you've got the speed merchant that can open things up deep and punish certain coverages where, you know, you're going to get man across the board and there's going to be no post help. Go punish that with the speed guy. Um, and I think the Dolphins secondary is a natural reaction to that because they have a bunch of matchup weapons too. You know, X is the alpha he can you can put him wherever you want byron is a really good boundary corner super physical um needham and noah i feel can both operate in the slot needham obviously is is like the main guy there but if he goes down you got noah that can come in immediately and he's a really physical slot player that plays the run really well too and then you got you know matchup chess pieces uh in the safety core as well eric rowe is the tight end eraser Javon Holland can be a free safety or a nickel. Or if you want to blitz the Ravens 35 times in <laughs> yes. one game, you can bring him <laughs> off the edge and set the NFL record for most blitzes in one game by a safety. So I, I think the Dolphins secondary is the natural reaction to how wide receiver cores are built. And I still think that even though they're set, we could still see a day three pick somewhere invested in there just to keep that going because it's not like, all of these AFC wide receiver cores are going away either. Like they still have to continuously add to it so that you can deal with Buffalo so that you can deal with the entire AFC West so that you can deal with the guys over in Pittsburgh and, you know, uh, well, I, I don't want to say Baltimore yet, but I, I do think that they've got potential there too. So it's like, you got to compete with all these wide receiver cores. You might as well just keep drafting DB so that you're never behind. I'm going to clip off that that comment you had about the reaction to how receiver cores are built because that's that's pretty damn good, Brett. I, I like that a lot. And you talk about the draft and potential day three picks. That's kind of why we have you on here to talk about the draft today. But again, the, the draft picks don't come until 102 for the Dolphins to, to kick things off this year. And we're happy with very happy with Tyreek Hill. So I'm not complaining about it one bit. But uh, that's, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, it's it's uh, you got to get better some way. That's what the Dolphins did, and they certainly got a lot better with that trade. And before we get into the draft picks here, and you, you mentioned, you know, Noah Igbenogany. Real quick, Brett, are you just saying Noah because the last name is is impossible to pronounce? I, I don't want to say it's impossible for him to pronounce, but I do know that I don't nail it every yeah. single time. So even since he was at Auburn, I just knew him as Noah. And everybody knew who I was talking about. <laughs> Igbo works too. The the way I learned it was draft night. I my uh, One of the guys in PR sent me a, like the breakdown, like the Igbenogany and like, I just had to say it over and over and over again because I was talking to him in like 15 minutes on the podcast. So I just like repeated it like a thousand times, like the show Severance, like the apology, just cranking it out over and over again. So I finally got it down. But uh, you talk about the luxury of having, you know, if, if something happens to, to Byron or X or to Nick or whatever the case may be, to have that guy that's a first round talent, a super athlete kind of waiting in the wings just to kind of get his opportunity, that's certainly a nice luxury to have. And so hopefully that's what, what the Dolphins have 
not just in the secondary, but across the entire roster. So as we pivot over here to the draft conversation, this is a question I've been asking all my interviews so far, and I really enjoy the uniqueness of each answer. I'm curious, Brett, because I think everybody does it differently. How do you watch film? Like when you go to your computer to dial up some All-22, what are you eating? What are you listening to? What's, what's, uh, is there a cat in your lap? Like what's going on when you're watching film? Well, there's never not a cat in my lap. <laughs> I know. You know. As soon as the laptop turns on, a keyboard is a cat's best friend. <laughs> so there's always a cat in my lap. Um, in terms of what I what I look for when I watch film, I tend to have to watch a play over and over and over again because I want to get context. It's not just about you know looking at movement skills, which is a, a big thing, but I want to look at where their eyes are. And I want to understand, okay, why are their eyes there? I want to understand what coverage they're in so that I know what his his assignment in that coverage is because even if there's something impressive movement skills-wise, if, he, if he's doing the wrong thing for his assignment and, you know, we just – some people just write it down as like, oh, there was a bust and we don't know whose fault it was. Well, if you can look at the coverage and understand the coverage – maybe it was that player's fault. You know, maybe they did bust. And then if there's a whole bunch of busts on tape, even if they're not punished for it, you want to understand, okay, why, why was there so many busts? Was it a communication problem? Um, you know, was it somebody not giving him a check? Like what was the issue? So I want to get context for both the good and the bad, you know, flip it the other way around. I want to understand, okay, if he did something out of structure of the defense, something that, He's not necessarily supposed to do, but he still made that play happen anyway. I want to give that like an extra little, a a little plus, because that means like not only can he just do his assignment, but he can kind of rise above the structure of the defense and make his coaches right, which is what we saw with Javon Holland when he was coming out of school. Mind blowing. I was like, coaches are going to love him because he gives them leeway. Um, I want to understand, okay. What, what formation personnel is the offense in? What are they calling? What are they trying to do the defense? And how does the defense react to it? So the more context I can get by watching a play 20, 25, 30 times, if I can understand what all 22 players want to do or trying to do and whether or not they succeed in doing those things, it helps me to understand the one player I'm actually supposed to be watching and how he fits together on the field with everybody else. That makes me feel better because I spend so much time doing the exact same thing where it's like one play. I'm like, geez, I just spent 20 minutes on one play. Like I got a whole game to watch here. (laughs) This is ridiculous. And you know, to that point, you mentioned Javon Holland. There was a clip that you posted last year. I think it was a Pac-12 championship game from like 2019 because he had the opt-out year where he like came off of his coverage and peeled to the backside and and jumped an over out. It was just... So yeah, impressive. He did the backside bender after coming off of his own. I was like, you're not supposed to be able to yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not supposed to be able to do that. That's exactly what you said. I loved that clip. I used it so many times. So I appreciate you uh, putting that out there for us. So let's go ahead and get into this year's draft class. And, you know, Brett, I, I boosted this question from the Bootleg Football Podcast. The other guys, it's a segment you guys do where you talk about uh, if you wanted player X early in the draft, but you missed out, you can come back in maybe rounds three or four and, and scoop up this guy. So, for fans that, you know, when we had that 29th pick, they were maybe hoping for a possible Derek, not Derek Stingley, that, you know, a cornerback in that position or a safety in that position, you know, the, the Hamiltons, the Stingleys, the Gardeners are going to all be gone. But if there's a, a player that you maybe wanted at 29 that was possibly going to be there in the defensive backfield that you didn't get, who's a guy in like day two, day three that you also like in a similar skill set? In terms of day three, and I need to preface this, <laughs> because it's it's a little bit of a little bit of a hot take. 
I'm not necessarily as high on Kyle Hamilton as a lot of people are. I still think he's a good football player. I do not think he is in the realm of Derwin James when he was coming out of school, like people have said. I actually had a higher grade on Javon Holland when he was coming out than I have on Kyle Hamilton, which Javon Holland's amazing, so that ended up working out in my favor. But I'm, I, I think there's a lot of things that Kyle Hamilton does well, but when I was texting with some people in the league, I basically said he's going to play the same role that Eric Rowe does, which is, all right, go cover tight ends. You know, if, if they start using tight ends as a big slot, you could put this big DB on them in the slot that moves well and, you know, has the range and, and, uh, and length to compete with those tight ends. And, and Rowe does that phenomenally well. And he can do like a couple other things that I, I think, you know, with 6'4", 220 in the frame that, that, that help it with that kind of role. You know, if you want him to play like hook to curl, starting out in too high, come down and just kind of get into a passing lane with his width. Yeah, you can do that. But I'm not necessarily a, a huge Kyle Hamilton guy. You're not going to get Kyle Hamilton with the current Dolphins picks. Nope. <laughs> but if you, if you want somebody else that brings special teams value, that has virtually the same frame and almost the same testing numbers and plays almost the same role as Kyle Hamilton, you're going to want Sterling Weatherford, who you're going to get way down the board. Also 6'3", 6'4", 220, you know, 4'6", flat in the 40, really good jumps, huge size, matchup weapon, that kind of guy. So that if Eric Rowe goes down, you have this other guy who's a special teams contributor that can come right in and play that same matchup role that Eric Rowe does that I don't think they have anybody else on the roster that can do right now, at least not as well as Eric does it. So again, we're talking about using day three picks to make sure that you guys are stable and can get through attrition that every NFL team has to during the season. Like a lot of the times the the, the best teams, the end come down to who's healthiest or who has the best depth, that particular player, Sterling Weatherford, Keep an eye on him because he is perfect depth for what you guys already have. And God willing, Eric doesn't go down. But if he does, you can slide him in and your defense can do the same things that it already wants to do. That's the exact detail we want you on the podcast for here, Brett. Great stuff there. Let's go ahead and take our last break on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield, joined by Brett Coleman, brought to you by AutoNation. We'll come back and put a bow on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. All right, back here for our final segment on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. And Brett, you talked about Sterling Weatherford at the end of that last segment. And I'm curious if he fits this mold or other guys that also fit this mold that you've looked at on tape. I know you're watching gunners out there and guys covering kicks and all that stuff too. So among this crop of defensive backs, a a position that breeds a lot of special teams production typically, who do you like the best in the third phase of the game in this year's draft class? Ooh, that's a really good one. I'm going to go Zion McCollum from San Francisco State, specifically because I think even if he's not getting on the field early as a starter, as a gunner, when you look at it, I mean, 6'2", 200 pounds, 4'3", in the 40, like 40-inch vert, he is extraordinarily athletic. If you you look at a relative athletic score from Kentley Platt, he is a 10 out of 10 RAS, meaning he is literally a one of one athlete at corner. He might go day two just for his potential alone, but I think he is a natural backup to these 
big physical boundary corners that you guys already have, while in addition being a handful for typically smaller guys on special teams that are that are going to have to deal with him because they're not big enough and they're not fast enough to to handle him kind of screaming boundary and going to get a returner. So I think Zion McCollum, every single special teams coordinator in the league just wants somebody with that toolbox to work with. And then eventually, I'm sure the defensive coordinator is going to want him on the field too because how could you not want that kind of athlete on the field? I know they have a million corners already, but – who cares? Let's get a fifth in there just because. Well, it's never never a bad thing to have, you know, guys on the bench that can come in and contribute like that. And that's 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 how the NFL works, right? You get teams that go down players all the time. Like look at the, look at the Titans last year; they had so many guys on IR, and they still wound up as the one seed in the AFC because of their depth and coaching and all that fun stuff. So great stuff, Brett. One more question for you here, and this is kind of the payoff because you know I know that most draft Knicks like to talk about the top one hundred. We don't really have that in this uh, that that luxury this time around you've done the podcast the last couple of years when we talked about a billion guys, but now it's down to just one. So this is a question I asked Joe and, and EJ and all the guys that have done the podcast so far, regardless of team, if you're sitting around pick 100, who's a guy that if he begins to slide a little bit, or just a guy that's there at pick like 50, 60, 70 in that range, who's the guy in the defensive backfield that you're pounding the table for to go up and future and uh, mortgage some future draft capital packaging some picks to go up and get the defensive back. Who is that guy you want? So I don't necessarily think he will slide this far, but let's just say in our wildest dreams, it happens. I would want Jalen Petre from Baylor in this system because the only thing better than having Javon Holland is having two Javon Hollands. And I think (laughs) he would basically be another Javon Holland. He's got phenomenal feet, phenomenal hips, plays the nickel position really well, but is also a really good safety in that Dave Aranda system, you have to do everything as a safety. You've got to come down um, and fit the run. You know, you got to play in the slot. You got to play in the deep post. He does everything. Showed up to Senior Bowl, even though he's not the biggest guy. He's like five ten. Um, you know, he's still very competitive against bigger receivers, and just kind of, you know, even when a catch was made, he was able to kind of fight through and break it up late, which is what you want. You don't want any quit in a DB because the catch isn't a catch till it's on the ground and the whistle's blown. So he plays to the whistle tough, aggressive, great leader. Um, I have a friend in the personnel par- uh, personal department down in Baylor who uh, also spent time at LSU when Jamal Adams was there. And he says that Jalen Petre is the best leader and the most passionate ball player that he's ever been around, and that included Jamal Adams. Wow. So he is a phenomenal ad for any team. But I think – and hoping, praying here, you pair up Petre with Javon Allen. That's the best safety duo in the league right now. <laughs> that's pretty high praise. I mean, that's, I saw him at the senior bowl and he was certainly playing at a high level in that game as well, which I mean, that's the best, the best of the best in the country there. So great stuff at Brett Coleman, two L's, two N's, the film room on YouTube, the bootleg football podcast, Brett. It's a pleasure as always, my friend, you're coming down here for a game this year, right? Yeah. I'm just waiting for the schedule release. I want to, I want to figure out exactly, uh, when and where I want to go see. I want to avoid hurricane season if I can, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, I was going to recommend anytime around Thanksgiving or after is usually the best because before that, pretty toasty. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks a lot, Brett. Thank you. And there he goes, Brett Coleman, longtime friend of the podcast. Check out his stuff on the YouTube channel, The Film Room, and also the Bootleg Football Podcast. We'll come back on the other side of this and put a bow on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation.
All right, back here on the Drive Time Podcast, a Monday. Great content for you here with both Brett Coleman and Marvin Allen, providing plenty of insight into the current Dolphins roster, as well as this upcoming draft class with the defensive backs. So that's that's a good spot to go ahead and put a bow on this. But I want to first go ahead and make a mention. Man, what a great time of year it is right now for not just sports, but also like television. I was thinking about this the other day. We had the Masters. We have the NBA playoffs coming up. The NCAA tournament's just wrapped up. Uh, baseball is back going again. And for me, as a Mariners fan, who this Mariners team has the the best young talent they've had since like the 90s. So I'm pretty fired up about that. Kind of the love of the game coming back a little bit there. I just feel really fortunate this time of the year, even without Dolphins football in our lives, because there's so much entertainment out there for us to behold, not to mention living in South Florida and all the amenities that has to offer, like the Luau with Tua, which by the way, I want to touch on that here just real quick, because the first thing I want to mention about the Luau with Tua was at the end of the night, people lined up and took pictures with him, and he just kind of went through, you know, the, the process of meeting everybody that came to his event, which is expected, I think. You know, you, you invite people out, you do this whole great charity thing for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of of South Florida, but the the genuine personality and the just politeness with which he met people and spoke to people, you saw it from a mile away. We've heard about it for years and years and years now. Just a special person, man. Like, like that guy... I don't know how you wouldn't be rooting for that quarterback because he's such a special guy and what a great human being he is. Raised a whole bunch of money for big brothers and big sisters of South Florida. So go check out the video. I think Michael Cuno from CBS4 down here in South Florida posted a clip of the what was on the news on Sunday night. He was the master of ceremonies at the event as well. So check that out, that out if you have not seen it. That was a great part of me and Mrs. Wingfield's weekend. And then again, the sports and the television. I, I, I keep looking back at this. We had the return of South Park serialized episodes this year. That was gone for a couple of years. And for the diehard, diehard South Park fans, that's a big, big deal. Like, you don't, that was very, very missed for a couple of years there during the pandemic. Severance, the show on Apple TV, is legitimately one of the best season ones I've ever seen in my entire life. That just wrapped this past weekend. Better Call Saul returns next week. The Ozark finale is coming up this month. Did you know the show Barry on HBO is back as well? Uh, we have the Jordan Peele movie this summer. I forget what it's called, but that looks like his best movie to date for my money. I mean, Jordan Peele and Aliens, sign me up. So I just feel very blessed by the level of entertainment and things that we have to look forward to here as pop culture fans, Dolphins fans, sports fans, everything in between. That's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins across all social channels. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast. You won't want to miss their work this week. Also, the YouTube channel for all the media availabilities, the Drive Time free agent interviews, Thomas Morstead most recently on the Drive Time Podcast as well as Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home. Also, Wednesday night, Twitter spaces. If you missed out last week, you missed out big time. Don't miss out this week. Every Wednesday, 8 o'clock p.m., me, Seth, and OJ, breaking down Dolphins football.